I wanted to share tonight something that has been very impressed on me. about the unsubstantial, unsubstantial nature of your identity as being an independent, separate entity. Yes? It's a huge assumption. And we have glaring examples of it, and I've been seeing one lately in the life of recovery. Because there was a friend of mine who uh, went out, and I mean went way out, really fast, and I saw the edifice of what you would call his personality be totally shifted in less than four days, five days, into sort of a ravenous beast type thing. So when that can, a, such a shift can occur like that, and I've seen it actually in, in some people's faces in this room uh, over the years, when there can be such a dramatic shift in someone's character or personality, it demonstrates there isn't any solid inherent quality that they have. They're not an island, yes? They're just a presentation of what uh, aspects of mind are the dominant aspects. So let's say when someone goes out and drinks and uses, it opens a door for a possession, basically, yeah? There's no one getting possessed, but the possibility of what you present here as, a, as in this life, this possibility of as a form of expression gets possessed. And it gets possessed by aspects of mind that you can't see, but they find fulfillment in expressing through you. So you can't see anger, but anger will have a huge effect here. Yeah? You can't see it. You can't say anger looks like seven foot tall, 220 pounds. It can't actually manifest into form, but it can manifest through form. Yeah? So an aspect, a very glaring aspect in, in, uh, in, in Hinduism, they would call them samskaras, which are deep mental grooves. And let's just take the, the deep mental groove of alcoholism or, and or addiction. When that mental groove becomes the dominant groove of the mind and takes over the possibility of being the dominant expressor through this possibility. And that's what this is, isn't it? You're engaged in a life where there's things being expressed constantly towards you and from you. Yeah? And a lot of those things that are being expressed can't be seen. But they take on a sense of, of existence through us. Yeah? Like you can see people who represent greed. They're not greedy people. There isn't a person that's greedy. But that person has opened up for greed to be a dominant influence, yes? So their whole nature and characteristic is ridden with this idea of getting theirs, yes? There's no one there that's doing it. That's just the icing on that cake. It's the sense of it's you. Because now, not only will there be greed, if there's a one, one sense of being conscious, you may feel guilt and shame about it. Yeah? Or you may not feel guilt and shame about it until maybe the moment of death or on your deathbed, and there'll be huge regrets will come over you. You never know when the flavor is going to change, yes? So, somebody who was representing a certain characteristic, a lot of them, that were very, like you would say, mostly like a flower, which was, it was facing the sun or the light. Then suddenly an eclipse came over them, and now, 
their energy is, has, is impressed with a sort of a, if you want to break it into a dualistic construct of darker light, a much darker uh, nature, yes? A very strong takeover. For something to take over so quickly, there cannot be something that was solidly its inherent existence, you know? It had inherent qualities. It would take a while for that to be taken over. But if you're just a possibility of expression, you can be taken over in an hour. Yes? And I've seen it with people. I've seen people, after 20 years of sobriety, be taken over. And after I see them one day after they started getting loaded, those 20 years don't seem to have much of an effect. Yeah? There's like a giant shade has dropped down, and there's a new show in town. And it's sort of like in... Uh, I always like to say, yeah, there's all these mental expressions that are seeking ma to manifest here, or, or to express, if you want to call it impressions. They're potentials that are seeking expression, and they're not seeking expression through animals, because animals are very basic, yeah? They can seek expression through this opportunity, yeah? So we can kill each other without any desire to eat, you know? We can be motivated to do harm to people with not an instinctual drive, but just for the fucking fun of it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've seen it. <laughs> so this possibility is just that. And it, it, it will, it's getting taken over quite a lot. But usually there's a dominant mental groove. Yeah? All right, so many of us experience the life of drinking and using drugs, and the dominant men mental groove, we could categorize it as alcoholism. And it is a possession. It sort of like has a parasitical nature. Yes? It gloms on you. It hooks you, usually through thought. Yes? It advertise, advertises to bring about a certain point of saying, fuck it. And when you say, fuck it, it starts giving you some damn crazy suggestions. <laughs> like, let's get loaded or sleep with my friend's wife or whatever. Yeah? The fuck it is like a catapult for this whole potential of expression to take off. Yeah? So it wants to lead you, the parasitical <laughs> tendency wants to lead you to bring you to that fuck it through a lot of false evidence appearing real. Yes? Usually a lot through repetition and then matching it with a feeling. And then you're just locked in. And once you have that drink, let's say you have a, a sense of jealousy, yes? But you're sober. And it's sort of somewhat subdued. But after the genie comes, well, after you drink, and the genie comes out of the bottle, you may be parked in front of somebody's house for hours who hasn't even gone out with you once. <laughs> you know what I mean? You may start stalking people because that potential gets amplified. Yes. As soon as the fuel gets introduced to it, the quote-unquote character defects of your basic composite of expression get amplified, and the qualities that you would call, let's say, benevolent, get down, downsized, yeah? You can see it. You can get a flavor of what's taking you over by its effects, yes? You can get a sense of what has actually taken the possibility over. We're talking with a, a, a subjective language as object, so, you know, forgive me for having to keep saying the pronoun and the noun, of I do that, but I'm not implying that there's someone that's doing it. I'm implying that basically you're empty and you can be filled by anything. Yes? You're a possibility. 
So whatever you plug into is going to run its little theatrics through you, through this possibility. And so here you are, you're a total rat, let's say, for 20-something years, and then what happens? There's a bottom where the bottom is like the zenith of the system called alcoholism. It's called its zenith when it's totally taking you over for a sufficient amount of time. Its zenith is a pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. And it's at that point where there's an escape from it. Because it's reached its, its highest or, orgasmic ecstasy. It has totally sucked your life out of you. Yeah? And lived it the way it wanted to. And the sense of it is a sense of pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. But in that moment, there can be what we call a bottom, there can be a salvation in that. Yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's gone its course, and there's no farther it can go. And it's only a movement. And when it finally stops, that you can get off. It may feel terrible to the narrator, but that's your stepping out of that speeding train. Because it's gone, it's, it's been selfing for so long, and it's hit its final destination. Pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. The train actually stops. And then you can come out. Yeah. And what happens if you tell the truth about it, about it, not you, about it. You admit to your innermost self, which is not self. You admit to your innermost, yeah, the truth about being an alcoholic. And when you finally admit it, you have a possibility to be free of it. When you're resisting it and denying it and disassociating it and listening to it, there's no freedom from it, yeah? Because you're seeking freedom as it, and there's no freedom as that parasite. There is no freedom as that parasite. You're constantly going to be seeking. There's no rest. It's an agitated system, yeah? But there are other possibilities. There are other mental grooves or modalities that are available that are also seeking expression. And they'll use you, and it's, no, it's not like you're the chosen one. It's if the mind sort of looks at it and, you know, starts honoring it, it will come in, yes? And you'll know it, like Jesus says, you'll know the tree by its fruits. You'll see this, there's something benignly or benevolent or beautiful about this because of all these coincidences. Like I'm walking around, I go to meetings and... There's something I really need to hear, and that's the topic that day. And all these lovely coincidences, and like we say in recovery, it's like God's way of being anonymous. All these coincidences start falling into your life, and I've seen it. I've seen a guy I know who had had recovery, and he went out. And in one night, he lost the truck that I was selling him. The friends, the people, his, his lower companions stole it in Richmond. He got arrested twice, and he was totally screwed. In one night. The next day, he came back in. He was taken to breakfast, to a meeting, surrounded by people, giving them possibilities. Oh, yeah, I'll drive you to this program, this and that. What was it? Was he that or that? Was he that darkness? He's not the darkness. He's a possibility. Yes? If mine goes for that little hook, that little parasitical hook, then the darkness seems to surround it, yes? And then everything, all that, what you would call negative gets amplified and the positive gets muted, yes? You could be very studious, very clear, and yet you're totally flipped out in like a day. 
Then the next day he comes back into the program and that grace of this program changed it totally. I mean, total difference. I watched both of them because it was my truck he got impounded. <laughs> he was supposed to come over and pay me. And so I saw him when he called me up totally fucked and I took him to that meeting and he was totally different. Because he's not that nor this. He's a possibility of this or that, yes? You're a possibility of this or that. What's really living here isn't you. What's living here is mind. Mind wants to fall, seek manifestation. It has to come through this object. This is the threshold, yes? This is the threshold. We're like conduits. And if you're in, identified as a self, if you believe that you're a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, Let's say you believe you're a long-lasting, independent, separate and alcoholism has you, yes? Then what's going to be explained in the book is going to fit you to a T, and you won't know it. Being convinced, believe with certainty, that self manifested in various ways. Self is just a possibility, a mental groove. It's, the, it's called self-centeredness. It's the feeling and the thought that you're a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. It's produced by selfing. The act of being identified as. You're, all your day is being presented as if you're the one who's having the experience. You're the thinker of this. You're the doer of that. You're constantly put into the position of doer and subject beyond all subjects in the mental system. That's called selfing. And it produces, it comes from self-centeredness. And then you have this feeling of being a self. So self manifested in various ways. Manifested means it appears in various ways. It can't become because it's not created. It appears. Yes? Mind cannot become. It can just appear. Yes? Here. Yeah? So here. Manifested in various ways is what has defeated us. self has defeated us. How the hell did that happen? Well, if you ask yourself, and you, I don't care how big the survey is, 40 people in a recovery room, 800 people at a convention, 5,000 at the world convention, they have the same answer. Myself. Myself would be the answer. What self defeated you? Myself. This guy from Hungary. What self defeated you? Myself. India's. Myself. 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 It's not self. It's the mind. It's the act of mind becoming identified with something that it's not, yes? As soon as it becomes as this, this is like a giant uh, tarmac, and all these mental grooves, some quite nasty, start landing. And every time they express through this possibility, your narrative says, they're my fears, they're my resentments, I did, I'm angry. I did this. I'm having perverted thoughts. I'm the one who's sick. This is called the act of being identified. That thing takes you over. As it's expressing, you can see it for what it is, but you see it as you. You claim every one of its expressions. It says it so clearly in the book, and yet still, it's not seen. Being convinced that self manifested in various ways of what has defeated us, we'll now look at its self's common manifestations in one's life. All right, let's do it. What is it called? An inventory. The next paragraph says resentment. 
So if you take this logic, resentment is an expression of a mental modality called self-centeredness, yeah? Which is tinted with alcoholism, a, deep, a very extreme subdivision of self-centeredness, yeah? So resentment's moving through this, and, and, and it's taking something to be a threat, and then it's trying to bring it back into a file and go, this reminds me of when my Uncle Joe hit me, yes? And then this whole loop of verifying the system of thought, yes? Interpreting every situation from that system of thought, and therefore, when the system of thought produces its effects, you call it yours. These are my resentments. And I'll tell you, it's much easier to let go of resentment than your resentment. You've got a lot of investment in your resentments. You have a lot of investment in your fear. You may have a story that you'd get rid of fear at the drop of a hat if it was offered, but you won't want to get rid of fear because it's not fear, it's my fear. And it's a fucking field for stories. You've written tons of stories about you out of, in that field of fear. The my is the bonding agent. The my, yeah? The difference of doing an inventory when it's resentment and fear and harm to others as if you were doing an inventory on a stranger, you can be fearless and thorough. It's when it's about you, you can't be. Yeah? Your head has too much investment to not go there. It doesn't want to, it doesn't want to point out, <laughs> it's been milking the tit of these cows. Just like there's a story in the book of recovery, it says freedom from bondage, and a lady goes, gets sober, and she had a belief that she really had a resentment towards her mother, and she had this story going that she would do anything to get rid of this resentment. But then she gets sober, and they say, you know, she really sensed, hey, if I don't get let go of all my resentments, I probably will drink again. And she realized she had no intention of ever letting go of the resentment towards her mother, because it was giving her excuses for everything for her failed marriages, for not going to school, for not being enough. She wasn't letting that thing go. <laughs> the first thing is, she had to tell the truth about it. Man, this is the mother load. <laughs> I love this, this resentment. Yes? This is when it says in the book, you know, why do you have so much fear today? Isn't it because self-reliance has failed you? And then it says, perhaps there's a better way. This is part of the process of leaving that failed system of reliance on self and moving to another system called trusting something infinite. Yeah? So sometimes when you're moving, you realize you have, there's a lot of denial about the expressions or the characteristics of this failed system. You're very beholden, not you, but the mind is very beholden to the system. It has a lot of excuses for it, rationalizations, denial, disassociation, and it really doesn't want to leave it. And so that's the beginning of really becoming honest. So when you start moving towards the solution, you get to see the quote-unquote problem in different light every step of the way. You see how much investment your mind has in being fucked. And then you realize you don't want to really be free as that. You just want to want to be free if it's fashionable at the time. And then you start admitting this. And I'll tell you, man... When that pledge of allegiance to selfing is broken and you start pledging allegiance to something else, you will see what's truly powerful here. And it's definitely not self-centeredness. It's one of the lower powers. Yeah? It's just that it's so easy for it to take us over. We're all walking around with a giant steering wheel of I, me, my, and everything that wants to express to us, we say, we just 
we just claim everything. <laughs> I mean, doesn't that fall under the definition identification? If something that's foreign is expressing through this possibility, and what's taking itself to be this keeps claiming everything that foreign installment expresses through it, I would say that's identification, isn't it? I would say, in my view, that's the root of the problem. You're identified with something that you're not. Yeah? And you're playing life out as if you are that. And you take these, you take this, this dumping possibility of resentments and fear and you just become a giant storage unit you take it to be normal you take it to be normal yeah as if oh I've always had fear no you haven't you've been taken over by something that actually has a lot of investment in anxiety because it keeps it it's like it's food yeah it's feeding off you ever seen when someone's been taken over you don't see it as a possession you can see, almost see something eating them, making them run this way and that, fucking lose their families and their children and their house and everything like it's one or two days flat. Yeah. You can see it. If you had a, if they, I wish they had a, perf a certain camera that if you could see someone with untreated alcoholism and you could picture it, you could get a, a shot of that little energy that's like sitting on the shoulders. There was a movie, an old Thai film, not old, called Shudder. It wasn't so good, but they made a remake of it in America, too, I think. And the guy, he was a photographer at the school, and him and his friends did something nasty to this woman. I think they raped her, and he was taking the pictures, yeah? And she died. And then her spirit came back and started haunting all the people, and, and especially him. And it was driving him crazy. It was making him this seeming energy was making him do all these things. So one night he was in his studio and he had a, one of those Polaroids that you take a picture and he just threw it. And when he threw it down, it hit. And it took a picture and it was looking at him when it hit. And then when the picture developed, he could see this, this Thai woman sitting on his shoulder with his hands like this, just controlling him. <laughs> like a possession. That's what I feel alcoholism was. It was like a parasite. And every step of the way, I was claiming everything it was doing as my actions. Woo! That, that ain't bondage to self. I don't know what is. <laughs> I just don't know. I don't know. If, I don't know. Maybe I'm totally crazy. Because it sounds so fucking clear to me. <laughs> well, because I listen to every talk that's ever happened. I've never missed a talk. I mean, it's revelatory to, to, to have a recognition of what's happening here, to an extent. <laughs> do, you, do you think, if I did, let's say, I knew a friend who did 100, and the last time I talked to him, 135 10-day retreats. That's a lot of 10-day retreats in life, yeah? He was still fucked up a lot of times. But if I came in here, I didn't matter, and I just was on a three-month retreat, and I shot some coke tonight. <laughs> You may see me the next day knocking on your door asking to borrow money. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's nothing. I don't have anything solid to rest on. <laughs> I haven't, nothing's been polished by doing all this shit. Nothing. What I am, yes, what I am is actually not. Yeah? It's just a possibility. 
you turn towards the light, the light will shine through you. It's not because of you it will shine. That's just the nature. It extends. So if you, if your, if your mind has the ability, all it does is reflect, really. If you're reflecting selfing, and like you're a satellite dish picking up all this insane shit, of false evidence appearing real, and sense of entitlement, and all this stuff, yes? What do you think it's going to look like out here? <laughs> it's going to translate into, wow! Yeah. You'll know the tree by its fruits. You'll know that an unspoken yes has occurred because the reflection of that light will be very, very clear. Very, very clear. And the download of the information from that clear, clear clarity will be unbelievably undeniable. Not forever, but for now. Yeah? Right now. I'm not going to be free the rest of my life. But I am free now from what wants to be free the rest of its life. I'm free from that, not as that. <laughs> if you're freed as it, you're going to be not freed as it, because it cannot... So, what does selfing do? The movement of selfing, the, the active bonding agent to the idea of being a self. First of all, it claims. Yes? It doesn't have a life, so it claims life. So, and how does it claim life? It presents itself as the doer. Yes? So when conscious contact is occurring through this little opportunity, which it is now, it's going through six gates. You're seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, and then the sixth gate is mind is seeing thoughts, like an eye would see a bird fly by. Yeah? Mind is seeing thoughts. It's, there's some look but they're still things. So the mind is subtler than these grosser, like uh, contact gates. But it's the same situation. Consciousness or awareness is having contact through a thing with things. Yeah? That's what's happening. Selfing, which is an aspect of a mental process, when it arises, it claims to be the doer of that. It claims to be the one who's conscious. Yes? There is no one who's conscious. There's consciousness or awareness. But then this one, this pseudo-one, claims to be the doer of that awareness. So I'm aware, yes? I'm conscious. And as soon as it takes that role, yes? Consciousness, which is just a state, let's say, now becomes divided into being unconscious and conscious, yes? The translation here is now you believe that you're not, you don't believe your consciousness, you believe that you can be conscious or unconscious. Yes? That's how most of us travel. We're trying, some of us are trying to improve our awareness or consciousness by mindfulness and doing practices, yes? But very rarely are we entertaining the state of consciousness, yeah? Because the sense of being a doer of it has slipped in. So we think we're doing consciousness, yeah? I'm conscious. And if I do something, and of course, the interpretation gives you a hit. When you do something that it deems to be good, like a retreat, maybe you'll feel more conscious. But usually, it always flips back to the baseline of being somewhat unconscious. Yeah? <laughs> yeah? This is, this is the interpretation of what can't be interpreted, which is consciousness, into a verb that you're doing. It's mind-boggling. Yeah? 
So if you believe your you as the doer of consciousness are going to become conscious of consciousness, that is total fucking bullshit. You are never going to become conscious of consciousness. You are consciousness. You are never going to become conscious of consciousness. You are never going to get it. Because it can't be gotten and it can't be lost. If it could be gotten, you'd be very, very worried about losing it. You would not be able to enjoy consciousness because you would feel like it's a commodity that you did all this stuff to get and that someone's going to take it or you're going to lose it. Yes? So if you don't go on that retreat next week, you'll probably have to say, I'm really less conscious now when I didn't go. And this is the bullshit. It takes something that's a state, a prior state, that can't be fucked with, yes, it can't be manipulated, it can't be diced up, it can't be partitioned, and it definitely can't be put in behind and become a thing I'm doing. You know what I mean? I mean, you can't take this object and put it behind what's looking through the object. <laughs> and have the object be what's looking through. <laughs> you can't take this object and put it behind what's looking to become the looker. <laughs> so what's looking is looking through this. This is not looking. And it's definitely not looking at what's looking. Yeah? It's... It's like a lighthouse. The lighthouse never shines the light on itself. It's just going around and round and round and round and round, yes? It, the lighthouse never, oh, I saw the lighthouse. <laughs> its job is to dispense light. It's not having any experience of light. It's just dispensing. It's, it's acting like a conduit, yes? And by the movement through, it can get a sense of light, yes? Yeah? By realizing I'm not that, I must be the light that's moving through. After I gave up the idea of claiming to be the one who's lighting, yeah, or the source of the light, when I give up those freaking phony ideas, then it dawns on you, I must be that that's looking. Yeah? I'm not the lighthouse. I'm not the camera tripod. I'm the light that's manifesting all of this through this camera tripod. But the camera tripod can never get behind the light and be the doer of the light, or it can never get in relationship with the light and become the seer of the light. It is what the light moves through, yes? Like the eye can never see itself unless it looks in a mirror. It can never see itself. While it's seeing all day, it's never seeing itself, is it? Vision's coming through it all day. Has it ever looked at itself? No, it can't. It's impossible. Yet, we've gone right around that impossible, and by claiming to be the one who's conscious, yeah, we've placed, we've preceded God in a way. If you want, I'm not, I just, I don't believe what God may represent, but I'm using the word. So here, you believe, you precede God. What, what can you call that but playing God? <laughs> I'm seeing, I'm hearing, I'm feeling, I'm tasting. <laughs> well, I'll tell you something. If your eyes open and you're looking in a certain direction and something flies by, you're going to see it. 
I don't care if you had a, if you took a vow of never seeing that bird, if it flies by and your eyes open and looking that way, you see it. <laughs> I didn't want to see it. You may believe that, but you saw it. Yeah? Because the consciousness will always be faster than your narration of being the one who's conscious. Yes? Life is happening before you notice it in the head. The head is narrating. It's like being in a football game, and yet you're listening to Howard Cosell narrate the game. Yeah? And you're taking that to be the game. That's not the game. The game is happening, manifesting. That's a narration of the game. And it's very biased also. Yeah? And so you, as, as a narration, can never be aware of the consciousness. Because you're something that happens after the consciousness, yes? How are you going to do a, 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 you know, end around and get in front of the consciousness and also be the narrator of it? So I'm the one that's seeing and I'm the one who's talking about what I saw. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm the one who's seeing and yet I'm also what's talking about what I'm seeing. <laughs> We did this the other day. Here, I looked, I'm seeing you, yes? So that would be the same experience if I just kept looking around the room. I'm seeing you, I'm seeing you, I'm seeing you, I'm seeing you, seeing you, seeing you, seeing you, seeing you, seeing you, seeing you. Different people, a different meaning would come up when I see them as a you, because they may mean more to me than other yous, but see you, yes? And then from your point of view, you're seeing this, right, as a you. And then you look around the room, and you see yous. And if I could get, if I took 20 people or 800,000 people, every person I would see, I would see as a you. Yes? And every one of those people would see me as a you. What happens? Where does something shift? I'm seeing you, and where you're sitting, you can say the exact same thing. I'm seeing you. It doesn't matter what location you are, it's always one eye seeing all the yous. Yeah? I seeing you, I seeing you, I seeing you, I seeing you. So in a sense, in your experience of consciousness, I'm a you, yes? In my experience of consciousness, you're a you. But when I ask myself, who am I, I say it's me. In all these yous, there's only one me. Eight billion yous, but there's only one me. But in those eight billion yous experience, I'm a you. <laughs> no matter how many people look at me, they never look at me as me. They look at me as you. <laughs> yes? So, I am denying eight billion ex evidences that I'm a you with this stubborn belief that I'm a me. understand me because I'm different than you. <laughs> but in fact, I'm not. That's the beauty when you walked into recovery. You sit in a room feeling so terribly unique and no one ever had these thoughts that I have. I've had some really incredibly bad feelings no one ever had and some of these heinous things I did, no one possibly had done them. And I'm sitting there for a few months and everyone's sharing their thoughts and their feelings and their reactions. And then I, after a few months, I come to two conclusions. 
how did these people get my thoughts? <laughs> how did they get my feelings and my reactions to life? I thought I was me. <laughs> I thought that was me that was doing all that. How could all these other yous be doing the same thing me am doing? Oh, well maybe uh, they're not my thoughts. They're not my feelings. They're not my reactions. Maybe they're alcoholic thoughts. Alcoholic feelings, reactions. And then you have an experience, I have a deep one of it, that I'm not identified with who you are, but I'm identified with what's taking you over because the same thing took this opportunity over. And I know what it's like to live underneath that tyranny, and I can hear you know what it's like to live underneath that tyranny. And what's keeping us from the solution is the me. The total defense against any understanding of what's happening because you think it's happening to you as a me. No matter how many people talk about what's happening to them, there's always a feeling you'd be different, you know? It's going to be different for me. When I shoot, shoot that dope, I'm going to have it really cool. I got, I got it all set up, you know? Someone's going to pick me up. I got a, like a three-week supply of coke. Yeah? It all fucking goes to pot. It never works out. Yeah? And you don't learn because you keep seeing everyone as a you. And you can't identify with them because you're identified as me. If you don't take yourself to be me, you don't have to learn in life through suffering. You can learn by listening to people share their suffering. Because there's no difference in you and this you. None whatsoever. You have alcoholism, this has alcoholism. I listen very intently when you share, because I may not want to experience what you're experiencing. And I listen to every share, and it leads me to the place. Where, where is that expression having its first toehold, you know? How does it enter into this thing called life? How is it having such an incredible, like, firework-type display in your life? And every time I investigate it, it always leads to the possession of the identification as self. Every one of them. Every one of the thousands of shares I've ever listened to have always brought me back to the... This is where it all stems from. They may be talking about a lot of particulars, like they may be having trouble with their dog Biff, and this other person's having trouble with their dog Fido, but they're both having trouble with dogs, yes? There's a lot of commonality in all the shares, and all of them lead back to one point to me, the identification as selfing. And because it's the, what we're looking for relief from is the bondage of self. Yeah? Not, we're not looking for relief of self. We don't need relief from self. There isn't self. We're relief, we want relief from the bondage of self. And the bondage to me is represented by the word my. That's where the relief is. If there was no my, there would be no self defeating you. The my is what allows what you call self to defeat you. The my, the claiming of it. The being identified as it. I put it to the test and it produced results, yes? I sense a presence, yeah? I sense that. Where before, all I was paying attention to were thoughts about you and me, and what could possibly happen, and what did happen. Thoughts like rats scurrying out around when the lights were out, just looking for something. Now I can enter a room, and I don't even think about entering the room. I just enter the room, yeah? Maybe I need about 15 thoughts a day, and bulletins to tell me what to do. Turn left, all right, you know? All the chatter is distant. Because you hear it, but you don't listen to it. Because the reason why you're listening to it is it's because it's yours. I'm not listening to other people selfing. When they come over and they tell me what's driving them crazy, I'm bored stiff in five minutes, yeah? I'd rather do laundry. But the 
same thoughts, if they're held as my thoughts, seem so entrancing. Why is that? They're the same thoughts. What's the difference? There's a feeling that they're mine or about me, and the other feeling that I have immunity is they're yours and they're about you. <laughs> That's it. Check it out. That's it. You want to know the disease? Watch it. See it. Stop grabbing concepts and assumptions. Find out. Thoughts do not drive you crazy. My thoughts drive you crazy. M-Y. My. The act of being identified as the thinker or the thoughts are about you somehow, that's what opens up the possibility of that insanity taking root. And it's going to seek expression. It's going to break, pop the lid off. It's going to need to have, if the pressure in the pipes is going to build up so much, it's going to lead to fuck it sooner or later. And then you do, you cross that line, and you drink that drink, or you do that drug, the genie comes out of the bottle, then all hell breaks loose, because now it has carte blanche to express out here. And it wants to express. That's the highest level it can get to become something, is to express through us. Yeah? And it's dying to. That's what they say in recovery. I've seen it. It's a progressive disease. I've watched it. I've watched people... I knew a lot of drug addicts who were pros. You know, I used to shoot up with them a lot. They had shot up thousands of times. They get sobriety about four or five years, and they go out and they die that weekend. They, the first weekend they're shooting dope again, they're dead. They never died all those other times. But And don't tell me, oh, they weren't used to the shot. They knew what they were probably doing, but something happened, man. All bets were off. The simplest thing I find, if you'd like to have this direction of your life still to be the direction, is to honor what's manifesting. To honor it. Honor it. To pay attention to it. When something happens and demonstrates, like grace or a miracle, build a little temple there and honor it. Instead of just running into the story about, oh, it won't be like this later, you know? This inability to become convinced of what's happening here is one of our major downfalls. We constantly we're like St. Thomas, the doubter, whatever his name was. He just wants more and more demonstration. He's never enough. i got to see. Get me a date. Get me this. Get me Constantly. Just the ability to enjoy peace of mind is an incredible thing. Just to look at your own life. How were you coming out of your addiction? Not very well. Not very well. I had been penned up for two years and three months in programs. Nothing worked until I came to a recovery. And then, in a matter of one day, the whole momentum got shifted, and I've been sober and clean for 24 years almost. I mean, what more demonstration do I need? What bigger temple do I have to go to? I honor that all the freaking time. Yeah? And the honoring of it seems to keep it more and more available. But if you take it, if you get complacent or nonchalant about it, and that thing gets in, and it lands, and it starts playing around with the gears, and the false evidence starts appearing real, big stories starting to get ready, resentments are happening, threats and fears, it's going to drive you right to hell. It's not going to drive you, but it's going to drive to hell. And you're going to be conscious of it, because that's what you are, bro. Yes? You can't escape your true nature. You're conscious. So if hell's going on, you'll be conscious of it. No matter how much you avoid it or deny it, there'll be a, you'll have a subjective suffering of it. 
That's why you can't do it justice. By us sitting here and going over war stories, you cannot do it justice what it's like when you're sitting in that insanity, can you? You can't conjure it up well sufficiently enough. But when you go back there, it is unbelievable, you know? The level of picking and irritable restlessness and discontentment. So there is a solution, but not for you. If there was a solution for you, it wouldn't be one. It would have to be solution and problem. The solution is not of you. The solution is not of time. It's a timeless solution that can intercede into time, but it's not of time. Therefore, it doesn't grow and it doesn't erode, yes? It doesn't need to be polished because it never gets tarnished. Yes? It's not sitting out in the open and getting weather-beaten. It's timeless. Yeah? It's always available at all times. It's like a pristine clarity, always available at all times. Yeah? If you try to put it into time, then it'll, it'll, you neuter it. Yeah? But if you let go of what takes itself to be of time, you, the selfing, then you'll get the sense of the timeless aspect of mind. And in that timeless aspect of mind, freedom does not take time. of cleaning himself off and 
going into rehab or anything like that. He immediately is, is on a road, and his father's there with some new clothes, puts a ring on him, says, hey, we got this huge feast, let's go. Yeah? It didn't take any time, the solution. And then there's one about the guys working, and he hires a guy at 8 o'clock and in the morning, he says, all right, I'll pay you this much for the day. And then it, and another guy comes at 11 o'clock, he says, I'll pay you this much for the day. And another guy shows up at like 4.30, and he says, I'll pay you this much for the day. And it's the same amount for each person. So the guy at 8 o'clock is fucking really pissed off. Hey, why is this guy just started at 4.30 getting the same amount of money I got? Because, you know, it had nothing to do with time, this idea of the kingdom of heaven. Yeah? It's not like you worked harder for it, so it's going to happen to you. It has nothing to do with any of that. Yeah? It's timeless. The solution is timeless. says you're in this place but you're not of it so if you want to get a sense of what you're not of look at what you're in because that's what he's telling you he can't tell you what you are of he tell he can only go through the back door by saying you're not of something because it's not anything that you are yeah so he describes it in a negative way by saying all right you're not all these things see so you're in this place of things but you're not of it he can't say what you're of He's just telling what you're not of. So you get it a backdoor way. Just like for me, I see it, I'm not that. And it's a seeing that I'm not that, that's what I am, that seeing. I can never know what I am, but I can know what I'm not. Yeah? And by seeing what I'm not, that's what I am. That's it. So I think he was using the same way. You're in this world, so check out what the world means to you. What does it mean to me? Things, yes. Separation, people, different people. Time, for sure. Yes. Things changing constantly, this and that. He says, all right, well, you're not of that place. All right, so well. So therefore, I mustn't be, I must be timeless, if he's, if in a sense. And I mustn't be a thing. Yeah. Now you're getting on to something. All right, so I'm not a, I'm not a thing, and I'm not of time. So you can use a concept and say, I'm timeless, and I'm, not, I'm no thing, but that's just the concept. But they get the sense of that. It's very liberating. Yeah. And then you see, all the heaviness of one's life is taking yourself to be a thing. That's how it gets fucking heavy. <laughs> no thing is very light. You can't weigh it, can you? <laughs> I got a big chunk of no thing here. I caught it in the river of bliss. Like a 24-pound no-thing. <laughs> Where's that scale? It's not moving. It no, I know it is. It's a big, heavy piece of no-thing. No, it's very, very light. 